Section 45 of Celebrated Travels and Travelers, Volume 2. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Celebrated Travels and Travelers, Volume 2, Great Navigators of the 18th Century, by Jules Verne. Second Part, Chapter 4, The Two Americas, B. The company recognized the immense service just rendered by Hearn by appointing him governor of Fort Prince of Wales. During his expedition to Hudson's Bay, La Perouse visited this post, and there found the journal of Samuel Hearn's expedition. The French navigator returned it, on condition that he would publish it. We do not know why its appearance in accordance with the promise given by the English traveller to the French sailor was delayed until 1795. Not until the close of the eighteenth century did the immense chain of lakes, rivers, and portages become known, which, emanating from Lake Superior, receive all the waters flowing from the Rocky Mountains and divert them to the Arctic Ocean. It was to the brothers Frobisher, fur traders, and to a Mr. Pond, who reached Athabasca, that their discovery is partially due. Thanks to their efforts, traveling in these parts became less difficult. One explorer succeeded another, posts were established, and the country was opened to all comers. Soon after, a rumor was spread of the discovery of a large river flowing in a northwesterly direction. It was Alexander Mackenzie who gave his name to it. Starting on the 3rd June, 1789, from Fort Chippewyan, on the southern shores of the Lake of the Hills, accompanied by a few Canadians and several Indians who had been with Samuel Hearn, he reached 67 degrees 45 minutes north latitude, where he heard that the sea was not far off on the east, but that he was even nearer to it on the west. It was evident that he was quite close to the northwestern extremity of America. On the 12th of July, Mackenzie reached a large sheet of shallow water covered with ice, which he could not believe to be the sea, though no land could be seen on the horizon. It was, however, the northern ocean, as he became assured when he saw the water rising, although the wind was not violent. The tide was coming in. The traveller then gained an island at a little distance from the shore, from which he saw several whales gambling in the water. He therefore named the island, which is situated in north latitude 69 degrees 11 minutes, Whale Island. On the 12th September the expedition safely returned to Fort Chippewyan. Three years later, Mackenzie, whose thirst for discovery was unslaked, ascended Peace River, which rises in the Rocky Mountains. In 1793, after forcing his way across this rugged chain, he made out on the other side the Tecuchi-Tessie River, which flows in a southwesterly direction. In the midst of dangers and privations, more easily imagined than described, Mackenzie descended this river to its mouth below Prince of Wales Islands. There, he wrote with a mixture of grease and vermilion the following laconic but eloquent inscription on a wall of rock. Alexander Mackenzie came from Canada over land, July 22, 1793. On the 24th August, he re-entered Fort Chippewyan. In South America, no scientific expedition took place during the first half of the 18th century. We have now only to speak of Condamine. 
we have already told of his discoveries in america explaining how when the work was done he had allowed bougnet to return to europe and left jesu to continue the collection of unknown plants and animals which was to enrich science whilst he himself went down the amazon to its mouth condamine says maury in his histoire de l'academie des sciences quote, may be called the humboldt of the eighteenth century an intellectual and scientific man he gave proof in this memorable expedition of an heroic devotion to the progress of knowledge the funds granted to him by the king for his expedition were not sufficient he added one hundred thousand livres from his private purse and the fatigue and suffering he underwent led to the loss of his ears and legs the victim of his enthusiasm for science on his return home he met with nothing but ridicule and sarcasm from a public who could not understand a martyr who aimed at winning anything but heaven in him was recognized not the indefatigable explorer who had braved so many dangers but the infirm and deaf monsieur de condamine who always held his ear-trumpet in his hand content however with the recognition of his fellow savants to which buffon gave such eloquent expression in his reply to the address at his reception at the french academy condamine consoled himself by composing songs and maintained until his death which was hastened by all he had undergone the zeal for information on all subjects even torture which led him to question the executioner on the scaffold of damiens few travellers before condamine had had an opportunity of penetrating into brazil the learned explorer hoped therefore to render his journey useful by making a map of the course of the river and putting down all his observations on the singular costumes worn by the natives of that little frequented country after oriana whose adventurous trip we have related pedro de ursua was sent in fifteen fifty nine by the viceroy of peru to seek for lake parima and the el dorado he was murdered by a rebel soldier who committed all manner of outrages on his way down the river and finished his course by being abandoned on trinity island efforts of this kind did not throw much light on the course of the river the portuguese were more fortunate in sixteen thirty six and sixteen thirty seven pedro tejera with forty-seven canoes and a large number of spaniards and indians followed the amazon as far as the junction of its tributary the napo and then ascended first it and afterwards the coca to within thirty miles of quito which he reached with a few men the map drawn up by sanson after this trip and as a matter of course copied by all geographers was extremely defective and until seventeen seventeen there was no other at that time the copy of a map drawn up by father fritz a german missionary came out in volume twelve of the lettres edifiantes a valuable publication containing a multitude of interesting historical and geographical facts in this map it was shown that the napo is not the true source of the amazon and that the latter under the name of the marañon issues from lake guanuco thirty leagues east of lima the lower portion of the course of the river was badly drawn as father fritz was too ill when he went down it to observe closely leaving tarqui five leagues from cuenca on the eleventh may seventeen forty three 
Condamine passed Zaruma, a town once famous for its gold mines, and having crossed several rivers on the hanging bridges, which look like huge hammocks slung from one side to the other, reached Loxa, four degrees from the line, and four hundred fathoms lower than Quito. Here he noticed a remarkable difference of temperature, and found the mountains to be mere hills compared with those of Quito. Between Loxa and Jaén de Bracamoros, the last buttresses of the Andes were crossed. In this district, rain falls every day throughout the year, so that a long stay cannot be made there. The whole country has declined greatly from its former prosperity. Loyola, Valladolid, Jaén, and the greater number of the Peruvian towns at a distance from the sea, and the main road between Cartagena and Lima, were in Condamine's time little more than hamlets. Yet forests of coconut trees grow all around Jaén, the natives thinking no more of them than they do of the gold dust brought down by their rivers. Condamine embarked on the Chincipe, wider here than the Sun at Paris, and went down it as far as its junction with the Marañón, beyond which the latter river becomes navigable, although its course is broken by a number of falls and rapids, and in many places narrows till it is but twenty fathoms wide. The most celebrated of these narrows is the Pongo, or Gate, of Manseriche, in the heart of the Cordillera, where the Amazon has hewn for itself a bed only fifty-five fathoms wide, with all but perpendicular sides. Condamine, attended only by a single negro, met with an almost unparalleled adventure on a raft in this pongo. The stream, he says, quote, the height of which had diminished twenty-five feet in thirty-six hours, continued to decrease in volume. In the middle of the night, part of a large branch of a tree caught between the woodwork of my boat, penetrating further and further as the latter sunk with the water, so that if I had not been awake and on guard at the time, I should have found myself hanging from a tree on my raft. The least of the evils threatening me would have been the loss of my journals and notebooks, the fruit of eight years of work. Fortunately, I eventually found means to free my raft and float it again. In the midst of the woods near the ruined town of Santiago, where Condamine arrived on the 10th July, lived the Hibaro Indians, who had been for a century in revolt against the Spaniards, who tried to force them to labor in the gold mines. Beyond the Pongo of Manseriche, a new world was entered, a perfect ocean of fresh water, a labyrinth of lakes, rivers, and channels, set in an impenetrable forest. Although he had lived in the open air for more than seven years, Condamine was struck dumb by this novel spectacle of water and trees only, with nothing else besides. Leaving Borja on the 14th July, the traveller soon passed the mouth of the Morona, which comes down from the volcano of Sangay, the ashes from which are sometimes flung beyond Guayaquil. He next passed the three mouths of the Pastaca, a river at this time so much swollen that the width of no one of its mouths could be estimated. On the 19th of the same month, Condamine reached Laguna, where Pedro Maldonado, governor of the province of Esmeraldas, who had come down the Pastaca, had been waiting for him for six weeks. At this time Laguna was a large community, of some thousand Indians capable of bearing arms, who recognized the authority of the missionaries of the different tribes. In making a map of the course of the Amazon, 
says Condamine, I provided myself with a resource against the ennui of a quiet village, with nothing to break the monotony of the scenery, although that scenery was new to me. My attention was continually on the strain, as, compass and watch in hand, I noted the deflections in the course of the river, the time occupied in passing from one bend to another, the variations in the breadth of its bed and in that of the mouths of its tributaries, the angle formed by the latter at the confluence, the position and size of the islands, and above all the rate of the current and that of the canoe. Now on land and now in the canoe, employing various modes of measurement, which it would be superfluous to explain here, every instant was occupied. I often sounded and measured geometrically the breadth of the river and that of its tributaries. I took the height of the sun at the meridian every day, and I noted its amplitude at its rising and setting wherever I went." On the 25th July, after having passed the Tigre River, Condamine came to a new mission station, that of a tribe called Yameos, recently rescued from the woods by the fathers. Their language is difficult to learn, and their mode of pronouncing it extraordinary. Some of their words are nine or ten syllables long, and yet they can only count up to three. They use a kind of pea-shooter with great skill, firing from it small arrows tipped with a poison which causes instantaneous death. The following day the explorer passed the mouth of the Ucayale, one of the most important of the tributaries of the Marañón, and which might even be its source. Beyond it the main stream widened sensibly. Condamine reached on the 27th the mission station of the Omaguas, formerly a powerful nation, whose dwelling extended along the banks of the Amazon for a distance of two hundred leagues below the Napo. Originally strangers in the land, they are supposed to have come down some river rising in Granada, and to have fled from the Spanish yoke. The word omagua means flathead in Peruvian, and these people have the singular custom of squeezing the foreheads of newborn babies between two flat pieces of wood, to make them, as they say, resemble the full moon. They also use two curious plants, the floripondio and the curupa, which makes them drunk for twenty-four hours, and causes very wonderful dreams, so that opium and hashish have their counterparts in Peru. Cinchona, Ipacacuana, Simaruba, Sarsparilla, Guayacum, Coco, and Vanilla grow on the banks of the Marañón, as does also a kind of India rubber, of which the natives make bottles, boots, and syringes, which, according to Condamine, require no piston. They are of the shape of hollow pears, and are pierced at the end with a little hole, into which a pipe is fitted. This contrivance is much used by the omaguas, and when a fed is given, the host, as a matter of politeness, always presents one to each of his guests, who use them before any ceremonial banquet. Changing boats at San Joaquin, Condamine arrived at the mouth of Napo in time to witness, during the night of the 31st July or the 1st August, the immersion of the first satellite of Jupiter, so that he was able to determine exactly the latitude and longitude of the spot, a valuable observation from which all other positions on the journey could be calculated. Pevas, which was reached the next day, is the last of the Spanish missions on the Marañón. 
The Indians collected there were neither all of the same race, nor all converts to Christianity. They still wore bone ornaments in the nostrils and lips, and had their cheeks riddled with holes, in which were fixed the feathers of birds of every color. St. Paul is the first Portuguese mission. There the river is no less than nine hundred fathoms wide, and often rises in violent storms. The traveller was agreeably surprised to find the Indian women possessed of pet birds, locks, iron keys, needles, looking-glasses, and other European utensils, procured at Pada in exchange for cocoa. The native canoes were much more convenient than those used by the Indians of the Spanish possessions. They are, in fact, regular little brigantines, sixty feet long by seven wide, manned by forty oarsmen. Between St. Paul and Coari, several large and beautiful rivers flow into the Amazon. On the south, the Ute, Yuruca, Tefe, and Coari. On the north, the Putumayo and Yupura. On the shores of the last-named river lives a cannibal race. Here Tejera set up a barrier on the 26th June, 1639, which was to mark the frontier between the district in which the Brazilian and Peruvian languages, respectively, were to be used in dealing with the Indians. Purus River and the Rio Negro, connecting the Orinoco with the Amazon, the banks dotted with Portuguese missions under the direction of the monks of Mount Carmel, were successively surveyed. The first reliable information on the important geographical fact of the communication between the two great rivers is to be found in the works of Condamine, and his sagacious comments on the journeys of the missionaries who preceded him. It was in these latitudes that the golden lake of Parame and the fabulous town of Manoa del Dorado are said to have been situated. Here, too, lived the Manaos Indians, who so long resisted the Portuguese. Now were passed successively the mouth of the Madeira River, so called on account of the quantity of timber which drifts down from it, the port of Pauxis, beyond which the Marañón takes the name of the Amazon, and where the tide begins to be felt, although the sea is more than two hundred miles distant, and the fortress of Tapayos, at the mouth of a river coming down from the mines of Brazil, on the borders of which live the Tupinambas. Not until September did the mountains come in sight on the north, quite a novel spectacle, since for two months Condamine had not seen a single hill. They were the first buttresses of the Guiana chain. On the 6th September, opposite Fort Paru, Condamine left the Amazon and passed by a natural canal to the Hingu River, called by Father Dacuna the Paramaribo. The port of Curupa was then reached, and lastly Para, a large town with regular streets and houses of rough or hewn stone. To complete his map, the explorer was obliged to visit the mouth of the Amazon, where he embarked for Cayenne, arriving there on the 20th February, 1774. This long voyage had the most important results. For the first time, the course of the Amazon had been laid down in a thoroughly scientific manner, and the connection between it and the Orinoco ascertained. Moreover, Condamine had collected a vast number of interesting observations on natural history, physical geography, astronomy, and the new science of anthropology, then in its earliest infancy. End of section 45. Recording by Tricia G.